Um, let me piggyback on that. Um, the Toronto outpouring in January of 1994, I believe, uh, without a question, uh, was of God. Um, there was preparation for that prior to that. A lot of people don't realize we've actually met the woman. She was an Elijah House um, a counselor uh, living on the East Coast, uh, uh, we believe at the time, and she and a team, but prior to the outpouring in Toronto, uh, she and a team went up and uh, basically did inner healing slash sozo on John and Carol and the, the entire team. They, they had a, um, um, a requirement that everyone in leadership ministry, the prayer team, the worship team, the uh, small group leaders, the pastor, the pastors, the pastors, not just the, not just the associate, the pastor, they all had to be sozoed, and that requirement still continues today, once a year. They have to go through sozo, or they can't be in leadership. That was part of the preparation. The other part of the preparation was John and Carol went to Argentina to get the anointing and bring it back. Um, I want to encourage uh, you uh, in, in this. Carol and I, in May, um, felt like, you know, there were just some issues in our life we needed to, to have dealt with, more about the Father's love and more about freedom for us and how we, how we minister and how we, how we do life. And so we went uh, to a counselor uh, who basically does really deep inner healing kind of thing down in Florida. You know, it, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't uh, cheap. Uh, we had to, to fly there, and we had to go, you know, spend some money in a hotel, and we had to pay him, and we had to have meals out and stuff like that, but it was so worth it. I, I just feel like as leaders, we, we need, uh, when I was traveling with Randy Clark, uh, Randy did a lot of deliverance teaching, and invariably, every time a pastor would come to me, because I was, you know, it was Randy and me and 18-year-old Ben, who was traveling, being mentored by Randy, well, they would come to me, because they couldn't all get to Randy, and Randy didn't like to do deliverance anyway, so they would come to me, yeah. Could go down that rabbit trail. I won't. Okay. Well, maybe I will. One thing you didn't, ne you never wanted to hear. Uh, Bill, could you come over here, please? It means he stirred up something, and he didn't want to deal with it. Or you'd get a tap on your shoulder, and you'd turn around, and somebody would be foaming at the mouth, saying, "Randy sent me. He said you could help me." Anyway, they, the pastors would all come to me, associate pastors, lead pastors, and they would basically say, I'm, I'm, I'm following the Lord, I love the Lord with all my heart, blah, 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 and I'm struggling in this one area, and I don't have anybody to tell. I can't tell the people in my church, I can't tell the other pastors, and I need help. Well, you know, if we don't go in and help one another, how can we get help? And, you know, we, we were only there for a brief time, and so I would end up doing deliverance on, on pastors. But... You know, you can't be there all the time. So as leaders, I just want to encourage you, we need, we need to get clean. We need to be able to, to be clean so that we are not hurting other people. Hurting people hurt people. Okay, that was that one. Um, we, we do kind of meetings like this um, with pastors' associations and stuff like that. Primarily, it seems to be more over, overseas than here in the United States. But, so this is really fun. This is really cool. Um, I normally uh, speak on kind of three themes, and I'm just going to touch on those three themes really quickly. Um, thank you. Wow. Cool. Um, God is looking for fathers, not CEOs. Boy, you could just really go all over there, right? You know, here's, here's, the, here's the heart for, for me. I mean, there's all different ways you could go on that one. Let me just go down this path. I love to see pastors and leaders get anointed, but my cry for them is that when they laid hands on someone, that anointing would not only be passed on to those that they are raising up, but it would be even greater and there would be no jealousy. That you would truly look at yourself as a father or a mother, spiritual father, spiritual mother, and what father or mother doesn't want more for their kids than for them. And you have to truly guard against the jealousy, because it comes up. We've been fortunate. We've got a lot of people who uh, we've, we've impacted with our ministry over the last 12 years who have much stronger anointings than us. And I think we've, we've gotten to that place where we rejoice 
with them. I mean, there's people on our team who um, absolutely have greater anointings in various areas than we do, and we try to promote them all the time. Uh, we were in Brazil um, earlier this year, and um, it was a church that, uh, it, it didn't have a G12 model, but it had a, a home group kind of model. I mean, their whole thing was about evangelism and small groups. And they were, they're, they're growing like crazy. This guy has, I think, 34 churches. His biggest church is in Santarim, which uh, the, the last time we heard was like 27,000 people. In four years, he had grown his church from uh, where he was now in Fortaleza. He had grown his church from like 30 to 5,000 in four years. Um, so their, their group ministry is uh, small group ministry is really important. So I was talking to one of the leaders, and uh, I said, "So, um, you know, you're a small group leader. When you have church services and stuff like that, uh, do you get to pray for people?" He said, "Oh yeah. Uh, as leaders, we get to pray, and we get to pray healing, we get to prophesy, etc." And I said, "So how do you get to be a leader?" He said, "Well, you get trained, you get discipled, and and uh, they they raise you up in evangelism." And I said, "Well, what if you're really not a very good evangelist?" And he said, well, they work with you. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, a, I'm really a lousy evangelist. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll try to do better. <laughs> but... but um, so I kept going down this road with him. I said, what if somebody in your group that you recognize, they had an awesome, incredible healing anointing, but they really just weren't, I mean, that's just not really their main gift in evangelism. What would you do with them? Well, we would work with them and train them to be a good evangelist. I said, what if they just couldn't get it? I said, well, they just couldn't be a leader. And I'm thinking, yeah, so that night, <laughs> instead of using all the cell group leaders, I said, okay, you're in a cell group, and you're being identified as a leader. You're my prayer team. <laughs> and we went after healing. All kinds of healing broke out. It was amazing. You know, I just kind of wanted to show that, um, yes, it's wonderful to be a great evangelist. God bless you. But we need to recognize the gifts and talents and abilities in our group and raise them up and pour into them. Um, the other theme that I see being played out so importantly around the world is um, basically uh, power outside the church. Um, if we're going to change a culture, we've got to be showing the power of God in the marketplace. Marketplace being defined as any place outside the four walls of the church. You know, I, I know for too long we've, we've just, we, we want to invite people to church. We've expected them to come in, and the reality is... Any Sunday or Saturday night or whenever your church meets, you pass a lot of people, and they're not going to church. And they're not, they're not going to your church. They're not going to the Catholic church, the Episcopal church, the Methodist church, the Vineyard, the Assemblies of God, the Four School. They're not going. And as good a pastor as you might be, they're still not going if you were able to talk to them directly because many of them won't go just because you're a pastor. But you have people in your congregation who have relationships and can carry the power and the presence of God wherever they go. You know, we, we, we used to do a lot of these uh, uh, schools for a while. We did about nine of them. Uh, we called it Taking It to the Streets, and we would play the Doobie Brothers, you know, and um, that was kind of the theme song for our school. It was all about how do you get over that fear of uh, addressing somebody that you don't know? Or, or, or your relative who thinks you're crazy. Yeah. Or your, or your neighbor or your coworker. Uh, you know, I, for me, I, uh, I, I get to spend my leisure time on the tennis court. And that's where, that's a lot of my outside ministry is, is on the tennis court. And I face that constantly. I, I want to be accepted with this group that I'm trying to get in with and play with. And yet, they, they all wear the, the little brace for the tendonitis. They, they tell me, I, they all have knee braces, um, especially, you know, at my age, they, you know, they got a lot of stuff. And I have a lot of opportunities to pray for them, and yet I face that fear of what are they going to think about me. Yeah, I, I am known as, you know, I'm known as the pastor or reverend on the tennis courts, so. 
have to kind of deal with that one. So they know who I am, and, and, um, but, but still, there is that fear. Uh, we had the opportunity recently. Um, I, in fact, I was looking around the room. Uh, there, it, th- there are a couple of you who are fa- fairly large guys, and this guy would have made you look small. I mean, this guy was as big. He had to be 300 pounds plus, all muscle, huge. I mean, just huge, just huge. And he's replacing our sliding glass doors, and he's wearing one of those braces. And so we finally, at the end of the time, you know, he's about to leave. We're saying, so what's up with the deal? He had tendonitis, and I lift these heavy things. I've had this problem for years and years. It's just getting worse. And when I, you know, I've got these problem areas right here. When I touch that, and he, and he touched them, and he just winced. It just, it just hurts. I said, well, can we pray for you? And so he, he said, yeah. So we prayed for him. Carol's kind of in front. I'm alongside of him. And uh, we prayed a little bit, and he said, man, it's getting hot. And then we, we stopped uh, after a minute or so and said, well, check it, see how it is. And so he's doing his arm like this. And then he touches this area, and now he's pressing on it as hard as he can. And he said, it doesn't hurt. I think I'm going to cry. Found out he was kind of like a backslidden Christian. You know, he'd been to church and stuff. But in that, in that encounter, he, he understood we need to get back to church. Well, then he said he had a hernia. So we, we started praying for him again. And the power of God started touching him. And he started wobbling. And I'm behind him. <laughs> We've got to take the power of God into the marketplace. That's how we'll change a culture. Many of you probably heard the story. Um, up in Reading, you know, they have a ministry school. They, um, they've set aside Thursday as the day that they go out and do outreaches into the projects, into the stores, uh, on the streets, wherever they are. A thousand students hitting the streets every Thursday. They literally have had people tell them, I've changed the day I shop to Thursday because I know I'll be encountered by someone who will pray for me. The other... Um, the other theme that, I'm, that I am seeing more than anything is there's a harvest coming and healing is the bait. You know, when you introduce Jesus the healer, it becomes easier to introduce Jesus the savior. Mike Bickle, uh, not Mike Bickle, uh, uh, Bob Jones prophesied years ago a, a billion soul harvest. About two or three weeks ago, he told Bill Johnson it has started as of right now. We're on that journey. I, I have a teaching that I, that I have entitled The Coming Healing Revival. My premise is this. I, I, started, I, I'm a, I was a history major in college, and so I love the history of revival now that God put me into this. And, and I started looking at all the prophetic words. You know, you can go back. I'm sure you can go back further, but you can go back to 1947, 1975, 1984, 87, 92, a lot of prophetic words from many different streams coming together, many different people, not just one or two uh, prophetic people, but like 25 from different streams, all prophesying there was going to be an outpouring of the Spirit that was coming. My premise is this. If those prophetic people were talking about that and it came to pass, and it did with Toronto in January of 1994, then shouldn't we be paying attention to what he's saying now? What he is saying now through the prophetic people and through the move of God is that there's a healing revival coming. It's based on Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. The, the, the healing is the bait, and it's coming. One of the things that we are seeing more than anything around the world is God pouring out the greater things. You know, Jesus told his disciples, you'll do the things that I do, and even greater. Look, he said it, he meant it, we haven't seen it yet, but we are. We're going to see it. Um, This move of God that we're in, um, you know, Paul Cain received a word from the Lord. Now, some people don't don't really understand this. Mike Bickle got this prophetic word that there was going to be an outpouring of the Spirit in 84, but it was going to be 10 years later which was really a bummer for him because he was a young guy at the time and, and you know, he was anxious to... But, but he, he's, he, re, he later realized we weren't ready. Well, the church wasn't ready. When Toronto poured out 
guys like Bickle and Paul Kane and, and, and Jack Deere and, and Bob Jones, they all went to those Toronto-style events and stuff. And, and by Bickle's own admission, he said, I didn't like it. It's too, you know, he's such an intense kind of guy. He's too flippant. It was too, you know, laid back. I mean, they were rolling on the floor and they're laughing. And he's this intercession kind of guy, you know, weeping before the Lord. But he, but he had the prophetic word, so he knew it was God. Well, the Lord came to Paul Cain and basically said this. This is my will. This is what I'm doing. This is not the main menu for the end of the age, but it is the hors d'oeuvre I'm starting with. Say yes to it. I made it difficult in the early church. John the Baptist came with a strange wardrobe and style to introduce the king of kings because I wanted them to be hungry in their hearts, not their minds. And what was the saying that came out of that? He's coming to offend the, the mind to reveal the heart. We are in something that is literally touching the entire world. You know where we see at least is Europe and North America, and that is changing. I gave a message the other night, and I, I truly believe this. God wants to wow us. He wants us just to go, wow, that was so cool. I can't believe that happened. And the power of the testimony, you know, what you're doing is just so important. I was, um, I was in a healing school, uh, Randy Clark does, up in uh, Reading. I, it looks like he's doing it every January now. So I was up there in January, and Randy told the story. He said, you know, they're all getting together, uh, Cheyenne and and." and Randy and Deanne and, and Che and Sue and John and Carol Arnott and Heidi and Roland, you know, all those people, they formed an, a, a revival alliance. And they all get together several times a year just to, to strategize and everything. Well, at the end of the one in September, uh, um, a, a year ago, Bill kind of pulled Randy aside and said, you know, we're starting to see people with metal in their bodies um, who have had limited mob mobility or they've had pain, they're getting healed. Well, I found out later talking to Bill that he had gotten it from James Maloney. James Maloney was saying, t telling Bill, we're starting to see this in our, in our meetings. And we've heard a little bit about this, but now Bill was really going after it. Well, it so excited Randy that he started going after it. And he's talking about it and showing videos in January. Well, I got so excited about it, I, I, we started going, about, uh, going for it. And so we went the, um, two days later to do a meeting at uh, Rich Oliver's church in uh, Orangevale. And we saw metal disappear in people's bodies. So now we've started going after it. We, we, we go after metal in the body all the time. We've got testimonies on our website that just blow my mind. And then uh, just, uh, just the other night, we had somebody stand in. This was Thursday night. They, they stood in for their mother who's got a plate in their arm for five years, limited mobility, lots of pain, just Every day, pain, 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 pain in the arm. She stood in for her mother, who was babysitting their, their, the child. She, after the prayer, she called her mom and said, has anything happened? Didn't, no power suggestion, anything, anything happened? And the mom said, you won't believe this. My arm got all tingly and all hot, and all the pain has left. <laughs> there... He's pouring out his power. He's pouring out his power. And the bait for the harvest is through healing. I, I know I could go on and on, and maybe we can come back and revisit some of those things, but I want to give Gary a chance. Thanks, Bill. Hey, it's great to see you guys. Um, I love speaking to pastors and leaders. Um, because you guys are extremely significant in God's scheme of things. And um, I just love what God is doing here. And it was so refreshing to hear the testimonies and to hear what God has been doing in each of your lives. And at the same token, I know that some of you are, are struggling. You know, some of you are, well, you know, I don't have that kind of a story uh, or whatever. Well, I want to tell you, I want to encourage you. I uh, pastored for 30 years, planted five churches, during that time, people would come to me and they would say, um, you know, give me some hints. What do I do to plant a church? And I would say, well, you know the, the church planting manual that you have? And they said, yeah, yeah. And I said, throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> 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 
and get on your face before God and find out what he wants you to do. Well, it took me a long time to figure that out. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, after our, uh, on our fourth church plant, I became totally burnt out. I was fried. I just, I was going through the motions. Outwardly, God was blessing. I mean, people were getting saved. The church was growing. But on the inside, I was dead. I was dry as shredded wheat. It was like nothing, nothing was, was clicking on the inside of me. And it was a real danger signal to me because I was always so busy doing the work of the ministry. I, I, listen, I was the best Martha you ever saw. I could, I mean, I'm serious. I mean, I was so busy serving God, but I didn't have time to sit at his feet. And it caused a total burnout for me. And uh, so I made the decision I was going to take a six-month sabbatical. Well, that six-month sabbatical lasted for three and a half years. I was, I was mad at God. I felt like I had never been called to the ministry. I stopped reading the word. I stopped praying. I didn't want to go to church. The only reason that I went to church was for our kids. We thought, well, you know, they need to go to church. <laughs> Slowly, it was through a long series of events. I actually, I became a stockbroker, okay? <laughs> and... Uh, uh, but anyway, it was like, um, in fact, John Paul Jackson had prophesied. Uh, he called us out in a meeting, and this was before any of this happened, and so that's why it didn't make any sense until afterward. But he said, um, he, you know, he just said, I see you as a smoldering wick. He said, it's just like the, the flame is just gone. He said, there's just, it's a smoldering wick. And he said, but, he said, I see just a little of a flicker, and then it's going to get bigger and bigger and a, a full-on flame. Well, that's what I went through. It was like I was totally snuffed out. I was dead on the inside, and slowly God began to do a work uh, of transforming. You know, I was so involved in, in control, manipulating people, making myself look good, um, doing what I needed to do, you know, to, to, <laughs> to stay on top of everything that was going on. And God just frankly wasn't pleased with any of that, you know, the whole way of operating. And uh, so anyway through a, a series of events, God did a deep healing work on the inside. And finally, I came to a place, well, there is hope, you know, and I, I think I will be back in the ministry because I did not want to do that at all. Long story short, I did, but I, I realized I had to start on a different foundation. I had to do things differently. And, uh, you know, I, I had always said that my highest priority was to, was to seek the Lord every day. Well, I realized that our priorities are not what we say they are. Our priorities are what we do. And to be honest with you, my time with the Lord was done out of duty because I was afraid as a pastor that somebody would come up to me and ask me if I spent time with the Lord every day. I didn't want to lie to them. And so I did. Actually, I, I did. But here's what I would do. You know, I'd get up in the morning, I'd read a few verses in the Bible, and I'd pray, you know, God bless the missionaries, God bless the church. God bring in more people in the church. God bring in more money in the church. God deal with the problem people in the church. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> and that was my time with the Lord. Well, God wants more than that. It's critically important that we study and we know the word of God, that we have it deeply planted inside of us. It's critical that we pray and intercede. That's the backbone of all that we do. But God wants more than that. And I realize that God wants to be alone with you and with me individually. No agenda, not asking for anything. My whole, my whole prayer life was begging and God, give me this. God, give me that. God, do this. God, do that. Always seeking his hand and not seeking his face. And finally, I came to the place where, where I, I realized that that has to change. And I made the decision one day that I was going to get up in the morning, I was going to go into my office, I was going to lock the door, and I wasn't going to come out until I experienced the manifest presence of God. I went with no agenda. I was not going to ask for anything but more of him. That's all. That's all. And I got in there. I, first of all, I had to repent. <laughs> I got on the floor, and I began to cry out to God, God, I want more of you. I'm desperate. There's got to be a breakthrough. And after just a very short time, 
my mind just began to drift, and I started thinking about everything else that had to be done. And I tried to refocus, and I thought, wait, this isn't working. I tried. An hour went by, and nothing was happening. And I was, I was getting angry on the inside because I still, I couldn't even, I couldn't stay focused on the presence of God. And then I said, well, wait a minute. And I got a hold of myself, and I said, wait, wait a minute. I said, you know, God, I told you that I'm going to stay here till I experience your manifest presence. And so I started refocusing everything I had on entertaining his presence. And again, in just a short time, my mind went off, and my to-do list that wasn't getting done, two hours went by. I was full of anxiety. I was mad. All of this is stupid. I'm wasting my time. This isn't working. And I began to cry out to God all the more. Nothing was happening. Then God spoke to me. I said, I'm, I'm getting out of here. God spoke to me, and he said, wait a minute. I thought you said that you're going to stay in here until you experience my manifest presence. And I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I, but I honestly, I made the decision right then that if I died of malnutrition, I was not going to leave that room until I experienced the manifest presence of God. Do you know, you know what I mean by the manifest presence of God? You know, usually it happens when you're worshiping because it's, you know, when you're in a time of worship, you're just caught up. In the God's just all over and you know it. You just know that you know you're in the presence of God. You know, you may shake, you know, electricity, heat, you know, uh, whatever, cry. You know, it feels so light you could float away or so heavy you can't stand up or, you know, shake and bake or whatever it is. Whatever, whatever you do that you know that you're in the manifest presence of God. It's one thing to experience that on Sunday. It's another thing to experience it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And that's the difference. That's what it's all about. It's, we don't compartmentalize our lives. We don't just do the Sunday smiley church thing, you know, and then the rest of the week we just go about our own business as usual. That's not what that's about at all. Everything changes when we encounter the living presence of God every day alone in our time with him. Okay, that's what it's all about. Well, okay, three hours went by. Nothing. Did you know three hours is a long time when nothing is happening? <laughs> Finally, I began to sense just the slightest little twinge of the presence of God. And I got so excited, God showing up. And I jumped up and I said, yippee, and I ran out of the room. <laughs> No, that's not what I did. I said, God, that's good, but I want more. I want more. You know, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled. That word filled, it doesn't mean, boop, he's there, and he just filled the whole place up. It means he came in, but more of him kept coming in. That's why we grow in our ability to entertain more of his presence. So more of him, I just cried out all the more, God, more, more, more. And more of him kept coming in. And listen, I want to tell you, that room became electric with the presence of God. Now, I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay there. I couldn't get enough of that. I want to tell you right now, I am a passionate lover of Jesus Christ. I can't get enough of him. The more I have, the more I want. It, it changes the game. It changes the game totally, Okay. I stayed there a long time. The next day, it didn't take three hours. Honestly, it took maybe a couple of hours. This was a test. It was a test to see if I really meant business. I was going to follow through with this stuff. Okay? Next day, it didn't take two hours. It took maybe an hour. You know, it, it just a short time of practicing the presence of God like that, and then it just became instantaneous. It's boop. It's right there. Okay? It's learning to entertain the manifest presence of God all day long. But I want to tell you something. The manifest presence of God is not the goal. Wait, you said, wait, stay there till you experience the manifest presence of God. I did. But the manifest presence of God is not the goal. The manifest presence of God is the beginning point. That's the doorway. That's when things start happening. When you're in the manifest presence of God, guess what? You are right there with him. Okay? Are you with me? That's the doorway to the supernatural realm of the spirit. That's when you can see him. That's when you can hear his voice. That's when you can walk with him. You can talk with him. He gives you revelation. He gives you uh, a wisdom. He gives you direction. 
Everything starts making sense. He gives you his agenda. You can just throw away your paper. He gives you what, what he wants you to do, and you can connect with him. I was so busy crying out, God, I want more power. Give me more power. God, give me more anointing. If I just had more anointing, God, you know, I, I was barking up the wrong tree. Listen, the anointing and the power is a byproduct of the manifest presence of God. It's a byproduct of developing an intimate relationship with him. Okay? So the, the, uh, everything that you desire, spiritually speaking, comes from that manifest presence of God. You are right there with him. You get on his page, and the more intimate that you become with him, the more he can trust you with his power, the more he can trust you with his anointing, the more he can trust you with the provision, the more things just begin to, to fall into place. Everything radically changes, okay? Honestly, I was a charter member of the Martha Hall of Fame. <laughs> I was. But I, when, when, once I grabbed onto this, I tore my Martha badge off, and I joined the Mary Club. And I learned what it was to sit at the feet of Jesus. And again, it's not asking for anything. I'm telling you, do your Bible study. It's not preparing your Sunday sermon. That's not what your time alone with the Lord is. Okay? 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 You know what it is? It's no agenda at all. Read your word, study, pray, do all of that stuff at one time, but set aside another time to do nothing but come into his presence. You know, there's a lot of a lot is being said about soaking. Well, I, I want to just bring a little clarification to that. You, you, you know, you don't soak in order to get into the presence of God. You don't get wet standing on the bank of the river. You got to jump in. When you're in the river, that's when you start soaking. You don't start soaking until you are in the manifest presence of God. L okay, you take a, a, a dry sponge and you put it in a bucket of water, what happens? Well, nothing. It just floats on top of the water. But after it sits there for a while, slowly it begins to submerge until it's completely immersed in the water. It comes to the place where every cell of that sponge becomes permeated with water. Okay? And when you bring, take the sponge out of the water, what happens? The water is just pouring off. You, you affect the environment around you everywhere you go because you drip the presence of God, because you have been soaking in the presence of God. You see, when, you're, when you are truly soaking in his presence, every cell of your being becomes permeated with him. That's what it's all about. There's so many areas of our lives that we battle with, we struggle with, we try to overcome. But I want to give you another illustration just quickly. Uh, you, you prepare a casserole dish, cheese, pasta, whatever. You serve it. After, the, after dinner, you bring it over and you sit on the kitchen counter and you leave and you're gone for three or four hours and you come back and you see the bowl there. And you're, oh, no! And what's happened? The leftover food is dried. It's stuck to the bowl, Right? And so you think, oh, no. So you get out a knife, and you start scraping away, and you can't get it off. And so you get out a hammer and a chisel, and you start beating the, beating the side of the bowl, trying to get off that dried food. Or after dinner, you can take the bowl, you can set it in the sink, fill it up with water, and let it soak. You can be gone three or four hours, and you come back, take the bowl, turn it over, and what happens? It just pours right out. That's what happens when you soak in the manifest presence of God. There are areas of your life that you've tried to overcome. You've taken out your axe. You've chopped away with it. You've tried everything through the arm of the flesh trying to overcome, but you're still dealing with the same issues. I want to tell you, that stuff can't stand in the presence of God. And so the more that you soak in the presence of God, every time stuff is leaving as more of him comes in. And you get up from there, and more crud and more garbage in your life begins to fall away. I'm telling you, it is the, it is the key to the ministry. It is the, it's God's one-step plan. We've got all these ten steps to this and seven steps to that and five priorities for this and all. God's got a one-step plan, and that's to become intimate with him and to soak in his manifest presence every day. Experience the manifest presence of God as a doorway to the supernatural realm of the Spirit. If you do it, your life will be radically transformed. You'll never be the same. Everybody's going to wonder, what happened to you? All of a sudden, you'll start glowing. Good things will start happening.
the, the manifestation of the Spirit is going to become so much stronger. And then when you impart all of this to your people, guess what happens? The presence of God grows exponentially in the church because it's all about the presence of God. That's what it's all about. It's all about God showing up. It's not about our agenda. So when God shows up, look out because anything can happen. So we want to get on his page. We want to do it God's way. Got it? Praise God. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, okay. Um, you know, well, I want to. I want to just share because God's impressed me on to share some, one one thing with you, um, which is a, a kind of a challenge to really hear from God, hang in there, and go for it. Whatever God is saying to do. You know when. Uh, um, Jesus, uh, in John 21, Jesus said, Peter, follow me. And Peter said, well, yeah, but, but what about John? And Jesus said, what is that to you? You follow me. He's saying, hey, it's none of your business about John. You know, we get so busy. Well, yeah, but what about, well, but the way, yeah, but they're doing it this way. Well, yeah, but what, no, what's God saying to you. He's saying, you follow me. I didn't have a clue what it was to know how to follow him because I didn't know where he was. I didn't know what he was doing. Jesus said he only did what he saw the Father do. Well, I didn't have a clue what God was doing. I was trying to figure that out most of my whole time in pastoring. I was struggling with where's God and what's he doing, what's he up to. I couldn't figure any of that stuff out. When we learn to follow him and walk with him and become intimate with him, then all of a sudden, every, all of those little pieces start fitting together. And it's, it's doing what God is putting in your heart to do because God told you to do it, not because anybody else said to do it. When I was pastoring, you know, something new would come down the pike and everybody would jump on board with it and everybody would try it. And it would always work for the guy that started the thing, but it didn't work for anybody else. You know what I mean? I tried, I tried all of that stuff, and it never worked. It just did not work. I mean, you name it, right down the line. You, do you know why? Because God gave it to one person. Because the, it was the right mix, the giftings, the right uh, uh, local church culture, the different, there's people, difference, all this kind of stuff. And it's so critically important that we find out what God wants us to do and that we follow him and that we don't care what the church down the street's doing. We don't care what anybody else is doing. We want to find out what God wants us to do. And God will give you that plan as you spend time alone in his presence. Now, we were in Brazil. We're on the bus going to one of the meetings. And, and, I, and I, just, I, I was sitting there and I said, God, you know, what do you want to do tonight? And God spoke to me and he said, dental miracles. And I thought, oh, dental miracles. He said, yeah. You know, like gold teeth, gold crowns, and TMJ, and gingivitis, and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, oh, well, you know, that's cool. And I thought, but, you know, the gold teeth and all that. And I said, you know, we did that a long time ago. And, and it was like, you know, I hadn't even thought about any of that stuff. I mean, literally for years, okay? And, you know, several years ago, I mean, we, you know, we saw God doing a lot of that. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know if that's God or not. But, you know, I thought it was. And I said, well, God, if you want me to do that, when we start in the ministry time, you're going to have to remind me. Okay? So I got through preaching. Start, just as I started in the ministry time, all of a sudden, God just dropped it in me again. And so I told him, I said, okay, God's going to do dental miracles. There's going to be gold teeth, gold crowns, gold fillings, TMJ, gingivitis, all this kind of stuff. You're going to see all kinds of miracles happen. So, I mean, I went for it. I was building up the faith for the, those, all the mouth miracles and all that stuff. And I prayed, just invited the power of God to fall and all kinds of stuff to happen. I had everybody look in their mouths to check to see if anything had happened. And nothing happened. Now, as a big, huge church, not one person, nothing happened. And I said, okay, I said, okay we're going to do it again. And I talked for a minute. I built their faith. I got the, all this stuff going and, and, and prayed again. Nothing happened. Everybody's looking into each other's mouths and they were, they were flashlights and all this kind of stuff. And nothing was happening. I did it three times. Nothing was happening. And I, I said, God, I thought you said to do this. And he said, I did. So we did it a fourth time.
and nothing happened. The pastor was sitting right there. <laughs> he was glaring a hole through me. I told, I told the guy that was interpreting for me, I said, look, I said, we're going to keep going for this. I don't care. We're going to keep going for it until God does it. Because God said, do it. After the fourth time, everybody looking in their mouths, nothing. So I thought, okay, I'll just talk some more, trying to build up some faith and trying to get up courage to do this again. So then I, all of a sudden, you know, some little stuff started breaking out over here. Gold dust started appearing on people's hands, and it started spreading all over the church. Uh, oil began to appear, and it's dripping off of their hands, literally dripping off their hands. And, and I thought, oh, now that's a good sign. You see, <clears throat> now that is a manifestation of the presence of God. So I thought, okay, we're going to do this again. So I prayed again, asked God for gold fillings, teeth, crowns, all this kind of stuff. And I was, just, I was just holding my breath after this one, okay? Then, finally, back here in the back, after this fifth time now, this, this uh, uh, big, you know, shouting and carrying on, and this lady ran up, and she says, I got two gold teeth, I got two gold teeth. And she looked, and everybody got all excited, and the pastor perked up. And then <laughs> this, this next lady came up, and she had a mouthful of gold. I'm talking top and bottom, both sides, all the way back. She opened her mouth, and it was so bright, you couldn't even look in her mouth. It was just glowing. It was just like a bright light shining out of her mouth. Well, the pastor, by now, he was up there looking at that, and he was excited, and he was calling his leaders up, and they got the video camera over and stuck it down the lady's mouth so everybody in the whole church could see what was going on. And, and it just, it broke out. Then this man ran up, and he was like, and he was, <laughs> and he, he could hardly talk, and he was jumping up and down, and he was so excited. We said, well, what happened to you? What he said, I didn't have a tooth there. I've got a tooth there. He opened his mouth. He had a whole brand new gold tooth where there was no tooth. Now, that's cool, okay? <clears throat> well, it, it just kept going and kept going. People running back to the bathroom. They were checking out. They were looking and all this stuff. And one lady ran up, and she had her earrings in her hands. She had one gold and one silver earring. Now, no woman's going to wear one gold and one silver earring, right? They were silver when she came. God turned one of them gold. Why, why did he do that? Because he's God. <laughs> he can do anything he wants to. But it was, it, was a, it was a visible sign. It was saying, okay, look. They weren't both gold to begin with. One, they were silver, got turned one. Now you can see the, the difference. There was one lady over here. In fact, the lady that got the two gold teeth, the first lady, she's over here. some of her team members said, we're going to pray for her. And they were holding her hand. They're doing like her, her thing. And they said, look, she has a silver ring. We're going to pray that God will put gold on her silver ring. And I thought, what? And so I looked at her ring, and it was just a regular, you know, silver ring. They prayed for her. They took their hand off. And gold bands appeared right there all the way around her ring. Now, why did God do that? I don't know. It was just a manifestation of his presence. He was getting their attention in that place. Well, there was, uh, I don't know, there was at least 50 or more people that got gold fillings, gold crowns, teeth, all, all kinds of stuff happened. And, uh, but you know what? When we gave an opportunity for salvation, people literally jumped up and ran down front. And some of those people that got the gold teeth were the ones that came and gave their lives to Jesus. I'm telling you, the whole, the whole front of that church was packed with people coming to get saved. That's what it's all about. God is doing it. Well, we got on the bus going back, and I said, God, I said, what's that all about? I said, why didn't you do it the first time? Why did you wait till the fifth time? And God told me two things. He said, one, he said it was a test for you to see if you were going to follow through. And secondly, he said, if I'd, if I'd have done it the first time, they would have all said, well, yeah, but you had gold in there to begin with. He said, I waited till the fifth time. They looked in everybody's mouth, each other's mouths, five times. Four of those times, there was no gold there. So when it happened, it was an undeniable miracle. Hallelujah. Okay. Um, 
One of the things that um, struck me um, while I was sitting there, and actually I thought about this earlier, um, you know, what is your passion? And what are you and your church known for? Go after that. Um, I think one of the strongest things, uh, for example, I mean, we're, we're obviously very partial to Randy Clark. Uh, he was our main mentor. We traveled with him for a year and a half. Um, you know, what has set, set aside Randy's ministry and why it's been so successful all these years is he recognized a call from God about healing, and that's what he's gone after. He believes in all the other things, uh, um, feeding the poor, taking care of the homeless. I mean, he has a real heart for all of those things, but he recognized that's what he goes after. Bill Johnson's the same way. He recognizes that his church has a passion for many things, but their main focus is healing. We all know that. And so he's publicly said, you know, there's other churches in the town who do a better job of deliverance or feeding the poor or whatever, and we partner with them. So go after what your passion is. So I was thinking about this. From 1904, from 2004 to 2006, um, we went down to Brazil uh, four times for longer than 30 days. Um, the longest time was 39 days, the shortest time was 30 days, and then there was some two in between there. And what we were doing was training um, churches uh, in prayer ministry so that when Randy Clark brought a team down, we would have the Brazilians who we would, that we had trained join the American team because we'd be doing like, uh, you know, gymnasium 12, 15,000 people and so we would need some of the um, Brazilians to join us. And we wanted to pour in and leave a deposit. I mean, that's, that's really what we're all about, is to, to leave a deposit uh, uh, so that we leave and it continues. Um, during that time when we would be teaching, um, particularly like on the first night, we would break them into groups so they would pray for one another. And we would show that many people got healed. Then we would go into general ministry, you know, do it again. And just kind of like to keep us busy, we went after um, anybody who was blind, anybody who was deaf, anybody who had a terminal illness. Doctor had said, there's nothing we can do, you're going to die. So Carol and I would go after those, and we'd have 10 or 15 people up on the platform that we were praying for while everybody else was ministering. And we just saw incredible things happen. We saw so many blind people receive their sight, so many deaf people, so many people with terminal illnesses. And we started bringing that back here to the states because we were doing it down there and seeing so much results so we started doing it here in the states and the same thing we would we did a methodist healing conference uh out in um the, the lake uh, idlewild somewhere down in southern california and um we saw five uh people with deafness get their hearing back i mean we were just we just kept going after it and, and going after it and going after it and we were seeing results my, my challenge to you is whatever is passionate on your heart, go after that. I talked to a pastor, to, to some people who were part of a church. Um, it's an evangelical mainline denomination, but they're, they're trying to go after some things. And I said, so, so you have a healing service? Yeah, we have a healing service once a quarter. Uh, you know, I mean, I just got to think, and, and they're wanting to do more. And, and we have a chance of going into that church and doing some teaching. I just think you have to go after it more than once a quarter. If that's your passion, you know, it, it, it go after whatever is on your heart and keep going after it. And so many churches that are involved in healing, which is certainly my passion, uh, physical healing, um, they go after it every time they meet. So whatever your passion is, go after it. You guys, you have anything you want to share? You want to open it up for questions and stuff? Yes, yes, what? Question. Yeah, okay. So, if we could have maybe some more microphones or whatever. And if anybody's got a question about anything we've talked about or anything we haven't talked about, um, we'll just open it up. And yeah, and if somebody could do. Can we do the impartation for those who are having to leave? Uh, depending on how many questions? Yeah, I think we could probably do that. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Yo, okay, let me, can, can somebody, thank you, appreciate that. We've been um, graced with uh, the opportunity to m meet with uh, some Spanish uh, pastors and do some outreach in the city and stuff. 
And as, uh, as you guys were sharing about um, getting, meeting with pastor groups and getting them prepared for an outpouring, I just wanted to ask if that's something we could talk about a little bit more before I leave today and see, about, see if you guys are open to coming to Richmond and doing that with us. It would be great. I'll see if the pastors are, are willing to do that. Many of y'all know, uh, Carol alluded to it, um, you know, we now live down in San Diego, but we're still doing a lot of ministry up here in Northern California, so, um, and, and let me tell you something to encourage you, um, I, you know, we, we're 21 years in San Diego, our passion is, is, I mean, we love San Diego, you know, I mean, it's hard, but somebody's got to do it. <laughs> but, but really, there is so much more, it seems, going on up here in Northern California than in Southern California, yeah, a lot more. When we started in our ministry in 2000, we, you know, we were released into our own ministry, Dunamis Ministries, Inc., and we made 11 trips to Northern California, ministered in 16 churches, and only ministered six times in San Diego. And, and people, and we had actually been spotlighted because Randy Clark came there and so all the pastors who came to those meetings knew, knew about us. We we kind of got spotlighted, and um, you know we just kept running up and down the freeway. And, and God basically said, you know, you can keep doing this, but it's really hard, isn't it? Uh, but you, or you could go up there and establish relationships. And then God made it very clear we were supposed to go back to Southern California. But we see more happening still up here than in Southern California. So whatever you're doing, keep going after it. And part of it is um, this unity. I mean, Brent and Suzanne, we just have to bless you once again for what you're doing. Okay, any, any other questions right here? Uh, we just moved to Oakdale, California, and uh, we're out on the streets uh, ministering to a lot of the youth. Uh, in high schools and stuff like that, but uh, there's not the the manifestation of healing and stuff that I would like to see. I keep praying, keep releasing, because I believe we have the kingdom inside to release it. Um, but I'm still a little frustrated sometimes because I'm not seeing the manifestation of it happen. Um, when we hear stories about people that you know go out there and then all of a sudden there's a breakthrough. You know, and so I was wondering if you could encourage me a little bit in that aspect yeah. of it. Be encouraged. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, when when uh, Blazing Fire started going to Hacienda Plaza, I mean, they did that for years, uh, every other week. Uh, it was mostly about um, prophetic words, uh, encouraging words for people, and they did not see the breakthrough for healing or even salvations for a long time. It was all about prophetic words, but you kept being faithful about that, and then it started breaking, and you started getting healings, lots of healings. I, I think it, it's, a, it's kind of about um, God wants to see if he can trust you with what he wants to entrust to you, and it literally is about uh, continuing to press in. Yeah. It, I don't know how many of you have been to the conference but I just want to share something that I shared yesterday. The Lord showed me a while back <clears throat> that there's like this blanket covering over North America, Europe, and it's a blanket of unbelief. And it's unbelief in the supernatural. And even those of us who believe are impacted by that. I mean, just think it said of Jesus, he could do no mighty works. But here's the thing. Every time you go out, you are poking holes in that blanket of unbelief. And so I just want to encourage you, keep poking the holes. You know, when they started doing it at Bethel, there was basically one student that Bill Johnson was telling all those stories about it. He never used a name because if he had, it would have revealed this is just one person and everybody else would have thought, well, I can't do that. But they kept hearing the testimonies over and over of what was happening, and people got more encouraged, and people would go. And the more people went, the more was happening. And so every time you go, you are weakening that principality, whatever it is, of unbelief over your area, and you will start seeing. You will start seeing. I just declare to you, you will start seeing. 
you will start seeing Oakdale will become a thin place where heaven comes down and touches earth and people are expectant because they know that God is in their midst. I just bless the work that you're doing and Lord, we say increase. Father, give them strength to persevere. Bring alongside those who will hold up their arms. Father, I pray for an army to arise in Oakdale, an army that destroys that blanket of unbelief over their territory in Jesus' name. I just want to throw two cents worth in that, too. If you throw enough spaghetti on the wall, some of it will stick. Um, two things came to mind. One, John Wimber uh, started teaching years ago on healing in, in church, and he would teach on it. And he would, he would have an altar call for healing, and people would come up and he'd pray for people. They'd die. They'd get sicker. Nobody got healed. This went on. People started leaving the church. They said, this doesn't work. They said, you need to switch subjects. And he said, I'm not going to. God said, do it. I'm going to keep doing it. And he kept doing it, he kept doing it, and nothing happened. A year and a half, he kept doing it, and nothing, zero, not one person healed for a year and a half, doing it consistently every week, okay? So then, he, he, he called over to pray for this lady. Uh, she couldn't get up. I don't remember what the condition was. Uh, and, and so um, her, her husband and John went in to pray for her. They came back out, and John was explaining why everybody's not healed. And all, of all of a sudden, she got up, she walked through the door fully dressed, totally healed. He about had a heart attack. He couldn't believe it. Okay, that was the first healing, okay? But it took a year and a half of persistence. He kept doing it, he kept doing it, he kept doing it. Finally, the breakthrough came. Then it got easier and easier and easier. And in the peak of his ministry, he had the most incredible healing ministry of probably anybody in the world at that time. But it, it didn't start that way. The other is Heidi Baker. You know, Randy prophesied over her that she's going to see blind eyes open. She goes back to Mozambique. That's when the, the you know, they had three or four little churches struggling. They had nothing going. Nothing was happening. She started praying for everybody. She'd get in her truck. She'd see a blind person. She'd stop and pray for them. Nobody got healed. This went on for one year. She never stopped praying. She said, God said it. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to re leave the results up to him. A year later, finally, she prayed for this lady. She got healed. She got a vision. She went to the next person. Three people that one day got totally healed by the power of God, you see. And then, then, well, the rest of it's history. I mean, how many churches, thousands of churches now, they lost count of the number of dead raised. Uh, you know, they don't even, you know, because it's, it's, it's commonplace now. But, uh, but it didn't start that way. Don't despise small beginnings. Keep doing it. God said do it. Don't give up. Is it possible that there are healings taking place, like you described, but it happened at a later time, and Heidi just didn't find out about it? Oh. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that could be. Yeah, a lot of times there's a delay. You know, uh, uh, Mark 16, they'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. That recovery is a progressive. It's not an instantaneous. So, uh, I mean, that could have happened. We don't know. But in terms of her, she never saw the fruit of it until a year later. Let me encourage you with this, too. I believe this with all my heart. You're going to get to heaven, and you're going to meet people who are saying, you know, uh, you had a prophetic word for me, and it changed the destiny of my life. Or uh, I was dying of cancer, and you prayed for me in 2010, and uh, they said I only had a month to live, and uh, I lived another 20 years, but I never saw you to tell you thank you. It's only by the grace of God that we've been, uh, you know, had the privilege of going back to someplace four or five or eight years later and running into somebody who would say, I was dying, and you prayed for me, and the next week, I went to have the surgery, the brain tumor, that's a real story, and they couldn't find it. It was gone. But when I prayed, it did not seem like anything happened. I believe that with all my heart. You're going to meet people in heaven who are gonna who are gonna say, but you just didn't have a chance. They they never saw you again, or you never went back to that place again. So we don't always know sometimes because the manifestation of the of the healing in, in in this example doesn't happen right in front of our eyes. Sometimes it is a process. Okay, question or no? A anybody else got a question before we do anything else? Yeah, he's just raising his hand and saying yes, God. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? Um, that's good. We must have been very clear then. As hand over here, okay. Oh, no. 
I hear a lot in different ministries about, um, you know, like Heidi in Mozambique and David Hogan in Mexico and um, various other people about confronting the powers of darkness. Um, you guys talk about that a little bit? As followers of Jesus, every believer has authority over ground-level powers and princip- uh, pow- powers and spirits of darkness, demons. Um, as far as coming against powers and principalities, my word to you, out of personal experience and what I know from a lot of other people, is come in the opposite spirit and pray heaven to earth. Anything more than that, you are asking for a bucket load of trouble. And there's a book by John Paul Jackson called Needless Casualties of War that would be good reading. I don't, we don't necessarily agree 100% with what he has to say, um, I, but I think that what he has to say needs to be heard. So, and who are we to not agree with him anyway? So, <coughs> um, that, That's all I want to say about that. Hello. Um, I just listened to the series by uh, James Robeson, Living Free, with Robert Morris, probably about 20 times. Key thing he was talking about is unforgiveness and deliverance that he went through. So apparently there's a lot of people walking around in the body of Christ that are bound and need deliverance. And it's not being offered with anoint- from, from anointed people. How does the body of Christ get deliverance for people that, I mean, they don't have placards in the church, you know, that with anointed people. But I personally know people that are, you know, they're walking in anointing, but because it's the gifting from God, but but are not uh, manifesting uh, the, the, the gifts that they should, you know, be manifesting because of uh, they're, they're bound. So... How does a person go for, how does a person find out who has that anointing in different areas in different churches for deliverance? Because it's it's really an awesome series, and it's, uh, I mean, I, I don't listen to things 15 times, all six CDs, and still get more and more out of it, so. You know, I don't even really know how to answer that question, how do they find out, but let me say this. When Jesus first sent the disciples out to do ministry, he said, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. That was the first thing he commanded them to go do. In my thinking, that's kindergarten-level Christianity. Every believer ought to know how to do those things. And if you don't, the church you're going to doesn't have it, and you're the pastor, you might want to think about introducing that ministry. And you don't have to be the one to introduce it. I mean, we already heard somebody here that they've got a ministry of deliverance, and uh, we know that there's a lot of healing ministries up here as well. Um, If you are anointed in that area and experienced in that area, then your people need to be introduced to that, and they need to be equipped to do that. You know, the, the work of the pastors, the prophets, the apostles, the teachers, the evangelists, is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And if there's any work of the ministry, which there is a lot, but it's got to start with heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. And so that just ought to be, you know, we have foundations courses in a lot of churches, and they learn a lot of doctrine, and that's good. I mean, we want to know right doctrine, right? Well, they also ought to be learning how to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. So if you don't know where it's happening, I, I don't really know how to tell you how to find that out. But if you're in a church and you're the pastor, then start introducing it. If you're not the pastor, then go to your pastor in humility and just say, you know, this is my concern. How can I be a part of the solution? 
we have a sign-up sheet on our um, resource table out there for anybody who would like to receive notifications of when we're ministering up here in this, this area. As I've been telling the conference, we don't sell that, we don't solicit anything like that. It's just to notify you when we might be here or when, for example, we might be having a SOZO school. Um, there, and we are hoping to do some more SOZO schools up here in the general area. Uh, we did one in um, February at, or January at Liberty, um, Liberty Christian Center or something like that in Fairfield. Um, about 146 people went through that SOZO school. Um, there are some ministries up here that I know about that have um, SOZO type, deliverance type, inner healing ministries. Um, um, Russ, I know, uh, uh, has um, access to people. Russ and Susan have access to people who uh, are involved in that. Um, Bill and Beth Irwin, I don't know where you are now, Bill, but um, out in Brentwood, they have that kind of a ministry. Rodney teaches a lot for Randy Clark's schools. I don't know if y'all have a Sozo ministry at your church, but uh, Rodney Hogue uh, certainly knows a lot about that kind of ministry. And um, Chris Hampton at Jerry's, your, your church, she Y'all have a Sozo ministry up in Benicia, and Mike and Lisa, who I don't know, uh, came up here. Uh, yeah, right there. They have a. If you have a ministry at your church of freedom, of healing, physical, you know, spirit, soul, body, would you just stand up so people can see, and maybe they'll recognize someone they know, or at least they can connect with you afterwards? Because Mike, hey, Fullerth, how are you? Um, it, this is important. The church needs to know how to do this. I mean, I, we came out of a mainline church where this wasn't, okay, everybody get a chance to look around and spot somebody that you can go talk to? We came out of a mainline church where this wasn't done, and when we started doing things, we were considered out of order and weird to, at the least. But, but I'm assuming that people who are in this room, you're pretty much from churches that are charismatic, Pentecostal in orientation, and my goodness, this needs to be happening. So connect with somebody. Oh, yeah, we do have a three CD set out there on deliverance that has been helpful to a lot of people. So. And we do have the Sozo DVDs. Yeah, we do have the Sozo DVDs. So, just saying. 